On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about what I think is a really important subject. We want to talk about the importance of being able to defend our faith in Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. Obviously, that's a subject that's been under attack for centuries. We believe it. We need to be able to show why we believe it. And so we're going to talk about defending our faith in Jesus tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Please stand by. We'll be ready to start right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and this is the virtual bible study for thursday night march the 10th 2022 and we welcome you and we look forward to your participation as we study together from the word of god my name is greg gwynn joining me tonight is my good friend and brother monty overton monty welcome to the virtual bible study hello greg it's good to be here tonight been a while since you've been sitting in that chair yeah glad to have you back always look forward to what you have to say from the word of god Well, you've been able to find good help until tonight (laughs) i got good help tonight and our good friend and brother (laughs) kyle barnes is running the board as usual Uh, kyle welcome thanks for helping good to be here so we want to talk tonight about. Oh, by the way, before we start that, I want I want to give a, a, a far out heads up uh, to folks uh, in Middle Tennessee. We're going to be able, Monty. We're going to be able to go back this year and do our community Bible study that we've done in the past, but have had to suspend for the last couple of years. Uh, we have that in July, and we're and the dates this year are going to be July 18th and 19th. It's going to be held as typically it is at the Memorial Building and Auditorium in downtown Columbia. Very easy to find. Donnie Rader is going to be our speaker. We're working on refining our topic for discussion. But it's a Monday and a Tuesday night, July 18th and 19th. Right now, what we want people to do is put that on their calendar and keep those dates open. If you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, you will not be sorry uh, to uh, if you come and take in this special event, the Community Bible Study, we call it, in Columbia, Tennessee, July 18th and 19th. All right. Tonight on our study, what we want to do is talk about the importance of being able to defend our faith and Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. As I mentioned, this is a thing that's been under attack for centuries. In fact, in the first century, while Jesus was here on earth, that he had his doubters and his skeptics and those who would not believe uh, his true identity as the Son of God. That has continued and, and really, uh, I think probably simply because there's a lot more people in the world, there are a lot more doubters in the world. And it behooves us, Monty, to be ready to defend our faith. We say we believe in Jesus. We ought to be able to and ready to explain why. You know, if we can't believe in Jesus, then we might as well go fishing or something because uh, we're wasting our time. That's very, it's very pivotal, pivotal point that Jesus was the Son of God like he said he was because if he wasn't, then, you know, our faith is in vain. Exactly right. Like you said, <laughs> if, if that's not true, if, uh, if it's even seriously questionable, we're just wasting our time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like to fish. Yeah. We could go fishing or hunting. 
we do this because we believe. We do what we do yeah. because we believe, and we better be able to explain to people why. And we need to be able to defend our faith. It, that, yeah. This is very important, too, because as we try to teach other people uh, about the gospel and, and God's salvation that he's made available to us, we need to be able to tell people why we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's, it's not just a good feeling I've got, but we, it should be empirical evidence that we sh- can present to them to defend that. Exactly right. To our update list earlier today, we sent out some questions, and we always remind you, get on our update list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. Here are the questions that we sent out. Number one, does God expect us to use objective logic and reason, or is our religion purely based upon subjective feelings? Number two, should Christians invite or avoid questions and challenges to our faith? Number three, what are some of the main reasons why people reject the Bible accounts of Jesus? Number four, is is there historical evidence concerning Jesus? Number five, very importantly, comment on these reasons why we believe that Jesus was more than a mere man, fulfilled prophecy, miracles, the resurrection, testimony of the eyewitnesses. And then finally, Drawing it all together, is it more reasonable to believe or to not believe? Those are the questions we want to try to deal with tonight. Uh, you can participate. We, uh, I've got Monty, Monty monitoring our uh, email inbox. So send us uh, comments to questions at collegeview.com. We'll have Monty watching the inbox. We've also got the chat room window open. Monty is watching that chat room for us as well. So if, if you'd like to participate in those two ways, the chat room will allow you to make comments as we go. Uh, and we can also take a phone call at 1-931-4567. Kyle, i got to get back on that. Uh, we, we did away with our 877 number because we didn't think anybody needed toll-free anymore. But we got a, I got our standard, uh, landline, 931-381-4567. All right, Monty, what about this first question? Does God expect us to use logic and reasoning? In other words, to be objective in establishing our faith? Or is it just all about feelings? Is, you know, I just feel like Jesus is the Son of God. Therefore, to me, He is because I feel it in my heart. What do you think? Well, when you get down to it, feelings are not evidence really to anything. It's other than the fact that you had a feeling. Uh, we've all felt about one particular thing. Uh, for example, there was a time when my son didn't eat vegetables. He was like me. He wasn't particularly interested in eating vegetables. But then when he got COVID and his taste went away, when it come, he started eating vegetables while he couldn't taste it. When his taste come back, he decided he liked them. So he, at one point, he felt like he didn't like vegetables. Now he feels like he does. And we change our mind about the way we feel, feel about things feel, yeah. all the time. Uh, when we were younger and before we married, we dated some girls for a while. And all of a sudden, we decided we didn't feel in love with them anymore. And we quit dating them. So our feelings are just subjective. They, they're based... They change constantly, and so that's not a good uh, way to base any. It's not an evidence of anything when you get down to it. Uh, and the, to the question, does God expect us to use logic and reason? Uh, there's lots of places in the Bible, I believe, where it suggests that to us. But one place that came to my mind first was in Second Timothy 2:15. Paul told Timothy to study to show himself improved. Uh, that meant he was supposed to investigate the evidence, the scriptures that they had available at the time was mostly the Old Testament, but they could go to the references in the Old Testament, see the fulfilled prophecies that Jesus had done, 
and he could thereby found his faith on that. And so he's telling him to use a lot, come to a logical conclusion about his faith, not just to oh feel good about it. I think you're exactly right. I was I was thinking of an example in Romans one where Paul was describing the Gentile world, in Romans one verse nineteen beginning. Paul says, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Mm-hmm. Now, get, get the argument that Paul was making there. He says, if you, you should be able to just look at physical creation and know there is a God. Yeah. And if you aren't willing to logically think through that. He says that's inexcusable. If you if you don't see the evidence and draw the reasonable conclusion from the evidence that exists, the evidence in this case is the physical creation. Mm-hmm. That evidence suggests there must be a God. And if you can look at the evidence and and not accept the conclusion that there is a God, he says that's inexcusable. I think that in itself suggests that he wants us, he demands us to use yeah. our reasoning powers. You know, as we talk about the plan of salvation, we go through it. We're to hear the word and then to believe it and to repent of our sins. Well, that here means that there's been information presented to you. And the idea of believing it means that you've come to a logical conclusion about the information presented and has decided that it's factual and worth uh, investing in. And so, again, it's God telling us through the scriptures that we're supposed to use our brains and to think about the information he's presented us and to come to a conclusion based on that. It's not a feeling. It's a conclusion. Yeah, I think you're right. There's an interesting case, Monty, in in Mark chapter 2 in the life of Jesus. This is the case where Jesus was in a house teaching and there were a huge crowd of people around and some guys came carrying a paralyzed, the King James Version calls it a paralytic man, Mm -hmm. They couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. So they got up on the roof of the house, tore the roof back, and let him down. You remember that episode. Yeah. Uh, that's recorded in Mark chapter 2. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, that is the men mm-hmm. who got on the roof and let him down. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? You know, their objection was right. Yeah. Jesus said, your sins be forgiven. They said, wait a minute, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say to thee, arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into the house. Jesus, Jesus engaged in, a, in an mm-hmm. act of logical reasoning with the, with the people who, who were, I think, rightfully initially put off by his claim to forgive sins. I think that was a reasonable reaction. But then he said, well, let, let me do this. Let me work a miracle to prove that I am the Son of God. And, and so he healed the paralytic man miraculously and they could see that. And, they, and, and in other words, he was calling upon them to draw a conclusion based upon the evidence that they saw. Well, they knew in their minds that just telling somebody that was paralyzed to get up and take your bed and walk was an impossible feat. That was outside the, the 
principles of physics and nature and logic that that could happen. And so the evidence he presented to him was that because I can do this, you can have the logical conclusion that I can forgive sins too. And therefore, we we understood, they understood that only God could forgive sins. So therefore, he had to be a part of the Godhead if he could do this miracle, therefore he could forgive sins and that proved that he was part of the God. But that was a logical conclusion based on the evidence he presented to exactly. them that they could do that. They had they could understand that. Now I want to deal with one possible problem that might be presented to us having made these points. Someone said, well, you guys are just completely unemotional. You don't, you, you don't let your feelings have anything to do in your religion. And, and I hope that's not true. I hope that we are emotionally invested in our religion. But I think that comes after we logically conclude the truth and, and establish our faith based upon facts, not feelings. But I was thinking of the Ethiopian eunuch, Monty. You know, he, he Philip joined him in the chariot, taught him about Jesus. He was baptized. In other words, he learned mm-hmm. the facts. He, he, he accepted him. He drew the conclusion that it applied to him and he was baptized. But it says the last, the last verse about that, uh, exchange is Acts 8.39. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. There's emotion. He was happy. He, he had emotion. He mm-hmm. had an emotional, uh, involvement in the whole process. But it, it, his faith was based upon fact. His faith was not based mm-hmm. upon emotion. Emotions came afterwards, not before. Well, I, I don't believe that we're emotionless in our in our service to God. I, I'm, when we hear singing here at the building, we're singing joyfully. I think we've got that. We're rejoicing uh, when we pray to God. We're rejoicing and, and thanking him for the things that he's done for us, for the salvation that he's provided for us, as well as for the physical blessings he's given us. We're happy about those things. I don't. I believe we're passionate about our service to God. If, if I don't think if we was, if we were not passionate, uh, there's been times when the weather was bad that we're here at worship. And if we weren't passionate about our worship and had an emotional bond to it, we'd say, oh, weather's too bad. I'm not coming. I mean, yeah. there's snow on the ground. I'm not coming. But we've been out here shoveling snow and, and sweeping sidewalks and putting salt on the ground because we were convicted and passionate that wasn't a, a lack of emotion there i don't believe it was, yeah devote that, that kind of commitment showed a devotion, devotion yeah. deep heartfelt devotion exactly right kyle any thoughts on that yeah <clears throat> having knowledge and understanding of our our requirements of worship you know i can we can sit at home and by that same extension our live streams which we've modified our live streams now which i'm you know thankful for which we still have that tool for education but you know, we can't sit at home and just relax in our recliners and sit back and feel like we've participated in our worship services. So we need to make sure that, you know, we're using what the scriptures say properly and coming to worship and doing what we have to do because we're, because God wants us to and because we want to praise, we want to praise and worship yeah. God. So. Okay. Yeah. I think you guys are right. And I do, I, I want to stress that we, we, we see an important place for emotion in worship. Or in, in, in our faith, in our service. There's an important place for emotion, but it's got to be established on facts, objective facts, not what we believe is based upon objective evidence, not on subjective feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point I want to make. We're going to take a break. When we come back for this, I'll get mine to look and see if we've got any feedback from our listeners. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about whether we should either 
invite or avoid questions concerning our faith. We'll be back right with right after this. Stay with us. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's some quotes worth pondering. God is the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. What we need is the ability to tramp the last mile, shape the last plan, and endure the last hour's toil. The fight to the finished spirit is the one characteristic we must possess if we are to achieve the prize. The measure of a man is the way he bears up under misfortune. Man, wish I'd said that. Here's a quick thought. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Suffering from pain and disease can be disheartening. Though our outward shell is diminishing, our inward being can be renewed day after day simply by being in the Word of God. Today's encouragement, be renewed. Seize the day. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're, we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about the importance of defending our faith in Jesus, and we think we have uh, an important duty to do so, and we want to be investigating that in our study uh, tonight. Uh, As we finish up point number one, uh, uh, Stephen in the chat room says the authors of the New Testament frequently use logical arguments to support the claim that Jesus was the Messiah, especially in Hebrews. says, as far as I can recall, they never or almost never appeal purely to emotion as a means of convincing their audience. So we can see that pattern in the New Testament that they use logic and they use evidence and facts to present a case that people could come to a conclusion with. I think that's right. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate that. All right, so what about, uh, this, the, the next question is, should Christians invite or avoid questions and challenges to our faith? You know, I, I, I think, Monty, the, the, maybe there's a, a, a tendency on the part of a lot of Christians to sort of shy away from any situation wherein someone will question them about what they believe and why they believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not sure all the reasons behind that. I, I, I'm satisfied sometimes people fear they'll be asked a question that they can't answer, and there may be some kind of embarrassment associated with that, which I think is a mistake. Uh, you know, none of us knows everything, and it's not a bad thing when you don't know the answer to something to simply say, I don't know, but I'll try to find out. I mean, that, that's an honorable reaction mm-hmm. when you're asked a question instead of trying to bluff your way through it. And so... Um, uh, that may be part of it, but uh, I actually think that that we are not only urged to, but actually commanded and obligated to be ready to give an answer for our faith. I think most of our listeners would be very familiar with First Peter three verse fifteen: "Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, we should be ready. We should. We should. In fact, we shouldn't shy away from. We should invite people to ask us about what we believe. You know, if if we've studied to the point, if we've been a Christian for very long at all, and really, if we're a Christian at all, I mean, a new convert ought to be able to tell somebody why they believed and became a Christian. Uh, and as we've gone longer and become more mature as Christians, uh, we shouldn't be wanting to avoid those questions that people that challenge our faith. 
uh, we should be wanting to share that. It, wanting, really wanting people to ask us, why do you believe? I should be wanting that so I can tell them, here's why I believe. Here's what I believe. Here's why I believe it. And here's why I think you ought to believe it too. Because our, our command is to go and teach people. Jesus said, go teach all nations. And so we're, our, our obligation is to be able to teach people what we believe, why we believe it, and why they should believe it too. And if we're not prepared for that, then we haven't fulfilled the scripture you just mentioned that told it, or even what Paul told Timothy, study to show ourself approved. If I'm a, if I'm studying and part of a showing myself approved is having an accurate understanding of the Bible and being able to present it to someone else. I think you're right. And as you were saying that, it just kind of connected with me that first of all, we're supposed to do it because we're told to defend our mm-hmm. faith, be ready to defend our faith. But secondly, it, when we defend our faith, it provides us a chance to do another thing we're commanded to do, and that's teach others. Mm-hmm. And so we are fulfilling the command in in two ways. First of all, just basic defense of the of the of the truth of Jesus. But secondly, it gives us a chance to open that door of evangelism. Well, also it provides us us an area that we can grow. Uh, just like you mentioned, somebody may ask me a question that I don't really have an answer for right now. Okay, there's an area I need to grow in. I need to grow in knowledge in that in that particular area, and so I can tell them, like you mentioned, I don't know the answer to that right now, or maybe it's a what a subject I'm not prepared to study that with you tonight. But I'll be ready, and we can get back together, and I can study. The next time I see you, I will have an answer, or I will be prepared to study this. So it, I'll grow in that process. So when we have these questions, as it challenge our faith? Uh, it shouldn't be something we dread, and in some ways we should look forward to it. It's going to tell us where we. It's going to demonstrate to us where we're strong and where we're lacking, and we can fix those lacking areas. I I think anybody who would say, "Ask me any question, I know all the answers." <laughs> that that person couldn't possibly be telling the truth, but has a has a wrong attitude to start with, but does couldn't possibly be telling the truth. None of us have all the answers, and and it's just not a bad thing to honestly say I don't know, I'll, you know but I'll work to find out. When I've taught the especially the high school class, I've made sure they understood at the beginning of every quarter I teach that when we're there in that class, any Bible question is fair game. Now I'm not saying that I know all the answers off the top of my head. That you can ask me something, I can just whip out an answer, but I can give you some kind of an answer, and there's been times that the answer I give them I didn't feel was adequate, so the next time we came to class, I was prepared to go in-depth and answer their question. So, no, I don't know everything there is to know, but I know people that know more than I do. I can find out what I need to know. Right, exactly right. Uh, To this question, Mohan in Chicago says in his email, Disciples of Jesus should invite questions, as the Bible says, to be ready to give an answer for our faith, and the Great Commission commands us to fish for men and seek out the lost. Some people may avoid questions if they think the question is foolish or may cause an ungodly argument. But he mentions the two things that you mentioned there, Monty. I think that's interesting. Uh, Dwight in Iowa uh, sent in an email. He says, in defending our faith, we need to defend God's word. Romans ten seventeen tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. John seventeen seventeen tells us, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. We have to use reason in learning God's word. Obedient faith is essential to our salvation, but to use subjective feelings will lead in the path of spiritual death. Proverbs 16.25 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Good point, Dwight. He says, I recently asked a preacher to speak on the use of alcohol 
and also to address the subject of virtual worship. We've talked about that. I think Kyle, you were just suggesting the, the idea of you know you can't you can't worship just by watching the live stream. This preacher declined. He's, Dwight goes on to say, I believe we need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks a question concerning our faith and belief in the Lord. I invite people to ask questions they may have. I give them a biblical answer to the best of my ability. To avoid such things may show we need to study harder and increase our faith. He mentions the verse you've been referring to, Monty. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He goes on to say, on the other hand, we need to... We need to do as Paul told Timothy uh, in Second Timothy 2. The, the passage goes on, verse 16, Shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like a cancer. Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. That goes to the, to the point that Mohan was making. Was, there may be a point at which some question, someone is just not really honestly seeking they just like to hear an argument, mm-hmm. and and there may be there may be some instances where we make a decision to say I'm not going to engage in that, yeah. uh, because he says Paul says shun profane and idle babblings they mm-hmm. will increase to more ungodliness, and so that's a tough line to draw. I'm I'm, I'm just saying that 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 if you have to do that that's always a hard thing. But I, I think it's true. Sometimes we just have to say yeah. There's no there's no there's nothing to be gained by by further engagement. But I don't think that's a decision we come to quickly or right. on the spur of the moment. It's going right. to be after a certain amount of time is spent trying to engage someone. Exactly. Uh, we've got a comment in the chat room from Brian in California. It says, the word tells us to contend earnestly for the faith in Jude chapter, verse 3. And then he mentioned 1 Peter 3.15 exhorts us to give a defense to everyone who asks us. Uh, he talks about con- contending and defending. Uh, it says, if you do... Is one is one you do when you confronted and mounting a, a defensive response. And Paul in Philippians one sixteen says speaks of the defense of the gospel. Uh, this does not define does this not define for us where we wage our battle in the Word of God. Yeah, and then good. Stephen says we should seek the truth and not knowing the answer is not a reason to feel humiliated, but is a reason to dig deeper. And he also said pride is one of the greatest obstacles we humans must overcome in the pursuit of truth. Okay, I think that's exactly right. All right, good good comments. All right, so we've understood that that there we're looking for objective facts. The real basis of faith is is not just feelings. And we've talked about the, the 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 instruction, the command to defend what we believe. Once we've come to a conclusion, to defend what we believe. Now, let's get more specific to the idea of Jesus and the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. Obviously, that has been that that truth has been rejected by people throughout the ages. In every generation, there have been those who accepted that as being true and people who rejected that as being mm-hmm. true. Uh, uh, and so we asked the question, what would be some of the main reasons why people would reject the truth about Jesus? And what it starts out, what do you think? I think a lot of times people want to reject that truth about Jesus because if I admit that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the all-powerful part of the Godhead, that means I have somebody I have to answer to. 
and is is I think it's maybe especially in our culture. I think human nature, probably in general, but in our culture, we don't like the idea too much that we've got to answer to somebody. We we're I think a rebellious people, as the Jews are described in the Old Testament a lot. Uh, but I think we're rebellious, hard-headed people, and we want to do our thing, and we want to do it our way, and I don't want nobody telling me I can't do it. Uh, and I think that's, to me, one of the main reasons why people want to reject about Jesus, because I'm not, I'm not going to answer to him. He's not God. I don't have to answer to him if he's not God. I think you're right. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus addressed that in John 3, verse 19. This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Mm-hmm. So that's basically the point Jesus was making. Some people are not going to like this, he says, because it, it exposes their evil deeds. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to be accountable for that, and they don't want to answer to anyone about that. So I do think that that is a principal reason why people reject the truth about Jesus. I think some people just are uninformed and never either have not not been exposed to the truth maybe not even uh, maybe it's no, not their fault you know maybe someone in some part of the world that where the gospel has not gone effectively maybe maybe the truth about jesus hasn't gotten to certain people and so they're just ignorant and so they they don't believe the facts about jesus because they never heard the facts about Jesus. now that indicts us mm-hmm. you know we, we need to do a better job of getting the gospel to every hearer uh so that they can make this decision as to whether to believe or not uh but if you don't know obviously you you can't make if you if you don't know if you're ignorant of the facts that lead to faith then obviously you you can't have an objective faith some people though uh, in, in in contrast to the ones i was just describing some people though are purposefully ignorant of, of what the Bible teaches because they just don't apply themselves to learn it. Mm-hmm. In John chapter 7, verse 40, uh, it says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the, this is the prophet, talking about Jesus. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh out of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was born? So there was division among the people because of him. Here, here were some people who weren't ignorant of the facts. And they rejected Jesus because they said, well, he's from Galilee. The Old Testament prophecy about Jesus said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't accept the truth about Jesus because they were ignorant of the fact about the fact that he was born, he was in, born Bethlehem. in Bethlehem. And so ignorance <clears throat> keeps people from believing the facts of Jesus. You gotta, you gotta, we need to get the truth out there and people gotta apply themselves to know. Uh, and, and then I would add one more thing here. I, I think people's personal pride sometimes keeps them from, uh, just their desire to, to fit in, to be accepted, to not be considered as, uh, weird or a radical of some sort. In, in John chapter 12, uh, verse 42, it says, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Mm -hmm. And so uh, their own personal pride, their desire for acceptance, uh, to to be honored by men was more important to them than to be approved of God. And that still goes on, too, I think. I think there's one more reason we need to consider is because some people already have a, a preconceived 
religious disposition that doesn't include Jesus being the Son of God. And and what comes to my mind first there would would be the Muslims. Uh, they do, their faith tells them, and their religious book tells them that Jesus is not the Son of God. That he was a prophet and a good guy, but he wasn't the Son of God. And so because of that, they're not willing to entertain the idea that he could be. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a preconceived so prejudice, a prejudice yeah, against yeah. it. Kyle, thoughts on that? No, that's a good coverage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says in his email, uh, the reason why some reject the truth about Jesus is because they lack uh, lack of faith in his word. People don't believe he was born of a virgin. People don't believe he walked on water. People don't want to believe some of the family who have passed on are lost. So that is, this is a separate point. People don't want to think that their family, who maybe some family members who've passed on, might be lost. In other words, if I believe in Jesus, but my granddaddy didn't believe in Jesus, then my believing in Jesus would condemn my granddaddy who didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, and Dwight says he thinks that keeps some people from believing. And I, I think that is true. I mean, I've run into that in, in the past trying to teach people. They just didn't want to come to a conclusion that might condemn a loved one, mm-hmm. uh, and especially a loved one who's passed on money, if they've passed on, whether I believe or not is not going to affect them in we one way or the other. We can't do about that. That's right. That, that's not in my purview or my problem yeah. area. Yeah, exactly right. We've got yeah. a comment on this subject from Blue 300 in the chat room. It says, I think some reject Jesus because it seems foolish to believe. Uh, and he references 1 Corinthians 1 there. He says, I believe, but if someone hears about a a mid-dark complexioned Jew in a tiny nation of Israel 2,000 years ago who claimed to be God, who reportedly walked on water and healed the sick, who said we must eat his flesh and drink his blood, who was killed as though a common criminal, who then was raised from the dead and presently lives and reigns in heaven, it can seem really silly and foolish to believe. Well, uh, you know, I think he's right that that some people in in their uh, human wisdom will assume that the truths of the scripture are, are foolishness in first Corinthians chapter one, which he referenced. He says, uh, uh, where's the wise, where's the scribe, where's the dispute of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the scriptures even acknowledge that, that some uh, will reject it on the idea that they think it's foolish. He goes on in that text in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 26. He says, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, uh, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. So, uh, again, the, the scriptures suggest that could certainly be a reaction mm-hmm. of some, not a proper reaction, but it could be a reaction. All right, we're going to grab a break. When we come back, we want to talk about, real quickly, we want to talk about the fact that there's, there is historical evidence that there was a man named Jesus. We want to deal with that, and then we want to take that a step further to show that he, he was more than a mere man. And we'll do that as we continue our study on the virtual Bible study. Stay right where you are. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages.
I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Often when in discussions about religious subjects, someone will respond to an argument by saying, that's just your opinion. This typically indicates that the respondent does not have a good answer for the case that has just been presented, and they're trying to dismiss the force of the reasoning by simply labeling it as an opinion. Those who make this dismissive statement need to understand that it is their burden to prove that the matter under consideration is mere opinion. If there's no factual or real basis for the argument that has been made, then let them show this. But if they cannot, then the facts and the evidence must be accepted and acted upon. Unfortunately, this seldom happens. On the other hand, if a thing can be proven to be only human opinion, there remain several options. First, if you detect that someone is trying to bind their opinions on others or trying to equate their personal opinions with the actual truth of God's word, then this must be immediately and forcefully opposed. When some were trying to force their view on circumcision, Paul said, quote, We gave place by subjection, no not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Galatians 2 verse 5. We should do the same. Secondly, everyone who holds an opinion has a reason for doing so. If, as they explain their position, you become convinced that it's reasonable, even potentially helpful, you might decide to become of that same opinion. As long as no one elevates this to a matter of necessary doctrine, such opinions can and sometimes do serve a useful purpose. Finally, even if you are not persuaded of the other person's opinion, you can agree to dwell together peaceably if both you and he can agree that this properly belongs in the area of personal conviction. If no one is guilty of despising his brother, Romans 14, verse 3, then both parties can continue to share the positive benefits of fellowship. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. I want to remind you that the virtual Bible study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We invite you to find out more about us by going to our website, collegeview.com, C-O-L-L-E-G-E. V-U-E, collegeview.com. There's a lot of resources on there, Kyle. We got a lot of teaching information. We got sermons and Bible classes. Yeah, you can just accent, uh, apply that to your Bible study. It's, it'll help you. And it's, it's the new and improved collegeview.com. So yeah, we've improved good. our website and, yeah. uh, uh, and, and all, we've got lots of resources available to you. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. Kyle maintains College View, uh, College View live stream. College View live stream on YouTube is our channel there for sermons and Bible classes. And there's a whole bunch of archives there and and you got some playlists uh organized there kyle and and so you can you can use that as a resource and then the the, what you're watching if you're watching the virtual bible study is a separate youtube channel the virtual bible study on youtube uh and and on our website the virtual bible study.com you can access archives of Almost 17 years worth of programming that we've had on the virtual Bible study, all kinds of subjects all, uh, that we've addressed through the years. So use those resources. Check us out at collegeview.com. And of course, if you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, we, we would rejoice to have you come and join us in worship at one of our uh, regular times. All right. As we continue our study about defending our faith in Jesus, I, I wanted to just quickly, I'm, I'm going to run through this real quickly. Because it, 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 I think it's valuable, but it's, 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 it's not the conclusive proof that Jesus is the Son of God. 
but simply to argue that there was definitely an historical character named Jesus. So let me go through this quickly, Monty. Uh, H.G. Wells, in his outline of history, says, quote, one is obliged to say, here was a man. This part of the tale could not have been invented. So Jesus mm-hmm. actually existed. Will Durant, uh, a, a philosophy professor at Columbia University, spent two chapters in his book, The Story of Our Civilization, uh, depicting Jesus as a historical figure right along with the Caesars, the Roman Caesars. Uh, Talus, a Sumerian historian, wrote attempting to give a natural explanation uh, for the darkness that occurred while Jesus was hanging on the cross. And so he, he didn't believe the, the miraculous aspect of the things going on when Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. But notice he did not deny that Jesus existed, but he only tried to explain away the strange circumstances surrounding his death. Cornelius Tacitus, a Roman historian in his annals, wrote, quote, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. Pliny the Younger, governor of uh, Bithynia in Asia Minor, wrote uh, to the emperor Trajan about Christians and their devotion to Christ. Uh, the Jewish Talmud, uh, a couple of separate books in the Talmud written uh, in the from the 1st to the 5th uh, century A.D., they speak frequently of Jesus they speak of him in unfriendly terms, of course, but they never dispute his status as a historical figure. One of the best known is Flavius Josephus. Uh, he was a Jew who who went over to the Roman side in the rebellion that led to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Josephus makes a number of references to Jesus in his history of the Jews. Here's a quote: He was brought before. Uh, it was brought before. Let's see. And brought it before the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ, whose name was James. And so he mentions James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, Several other references by Josephus in his writings, who was a historian of the time. All of that just simply points to the fact that there was there was an historical man named Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Now, uh, the broader question is, well, was he more than that? Was he more than a mere historical figure? Uh, Dwight, in his email, says, Historical evidence for Jesus is seen in our everyday lives. It is seen in his all-powerful word. In looking at the four Gospels, four different men, it is amazing how the Gospel harmonized with one another. I think that's true. and that may, but, but I think what Dwight is suggesting goes more to the next part of our study as to why we believe that Jesus was more than a mere man. Uh, uh, in, and, and we look at, I, I think, at least four prime areas, Monty, of of proof that Jesus was more than a man. He was the Son of God. One of them is fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy is really amazing if people will... will it, it takes a deeper dive, and you've got to spend more time to investigate the prophecies about Jesus. There's, there's a, a little over 300 what we refer to as messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. And so a, a Messiah was promised to the Jewish nation a deliverer was going to come. Those promises actually go all the way back to the early chapters of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, the coming of, of a deliverer was mentioned uh, when, when Satan had caused Eve and then Adam to sin. You know, uh, 
God mm-hmm. said to the serpent that the, that the seed of woman would come and, and the serpent would bruise his heel, but he would or crush the, the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15. That was the first prophecy mm-hmm. about a coming uh, Savior and, they, and hundreds more in the Old Testament. And so it, it takes a little deeper dive to, to use that proof. We mentioned earlier the case of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Philip, the evangelist, used fulfilled prophecy mm-hmm. to convince the Ethiopian eunuch that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, he specifically was studying in Isaiah chapter 53, a beautiful description of the suffering that Jesus would do on the cross of Calvary. And, and, and the things prophesied in Isaiah 53 came true exactly as Jesus suffered and died on the cross of Calvary. There's a, there's an interesting book that some of our listeners I'm sure have heard of. Uh, a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science Speaks. And he addressed this subject of fulfilled prophecy. And what he did was he tried to do a mathematical calculation on the probability that a person could just come along and accidentally fulfill the prophecies or just coincidentally fulfill the prophecies that were made about the Savior. He chose just eight. Now, remember, there's over 300. He chose eight prophecies. They were things like born in Bethlehem. Well, if you think about all the people who've been born in the course of history, there's a tiny, tiny, minute fraction of those people who were born in the in the little village of Bethlehem. So that narrowed the odds down tremendously right from the start. He used other things like uh, uh, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Throughout the course of history, a tiny percentage of people have ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. He talked about the betrayal price, you know, the, 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 the 30 pieces of silver that Judas Iscariot got for betraying Jesus. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. He talked about things like he picked eight prophecies, and then he tried to do a mathematical calculation of what would be the odds that a person could just by chance fulfill these eight prophecies. And, and his mathematical calculations concluded that the chance of it would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's 1 followed by 17 zeros. That's a number so big, money that even our federal government can't calculate at that, yeah. at, at that range. A huge, he went on to explain, I thought he did a neat job in the book, he went on to explain, this would be the equivalent of covering the whole state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. Mark one coin... Throw it in amongst all the rest, all mixed up. You don't know where it is. Turn a blindfolded man loose at the at the Texas state line. Tell him he can walk as far and as long as he wants, but at some point he's got to stoop down and pick up one coin. What's the chance that he'll pick up that one marked coin? One in Zero, ten to the basically. One in well, one in ten yeah. to the seventeenth power. Uh, and so uh, that tells you how how incredible the idea of the fulfilled prophecies uh, uh, are proof that Jesus is the Son of God because of those prophecies. We got several more. We want to talk about miracles, the resurrection, and the testimony of the eyewitnesses. We're going to get to that when we come back. We're going to take our last break. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Half of Americans, that's 52%, agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but say that he was not God. 
Three out of five Americans, 59%, agree that the Holy Spirit is a force but is not a personal being. One out of five, that's 19%, say the Holy Spirit can tell them to do something that is forbidden in the Bible. Two-thirds of U.S. adults, 64%, say God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That information is via LifeWay Research. The Word of God says in Mark 8, verse 18, Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not, and do you not remember? My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the virtual Bible study. Going to the top they are talking about the importance of defending our faith in Jesus as the Son of God. We talked about fulfilled prophecy as one of those proofs that he was more than a mere man. Miracles, Monty. Miracles certainly are confirming evidence that Jesus was who he claimed to be. You know, as, as we read through the Old Testament and the Law of Moses, if somebody came into town teaching something different or it was an idol worshiper or something like that, they were supposed to put that person to death. They weren't supposed to listen to him. They were supposed to execute him. And so if somebody came in teaching something and said, hey, I've got a message from God, I'm not going to li- I mean, if you came in tonight and told me that God had give you some special revelation, I ain't going to listen to it because I understand from the Bible that those days are over. But if you could come in and do that and perform some miracle. If I could, if I, if I could verifiably raise a dead yeah. man who was verified dead and I could raise him yeah. up again, you'd have to listen to what I'm saying. I, I would. That, that would tell me that, you know, that he really is from God because nobody else can raise dead men. So that, that, that would be evidence to me. We talked about being able to come to a logical conclusion. That would be a logical conclusion that you had something special going on between you and God, and that I should listen to what you had to say. And so we see a variety of miracles that are performed as we see that Jesus did. And so the fact that he could do those things proves that he had some special relationship with God in order to be able to do that. And he defined what the special relationship was, that he was the son of God. And so the fact that he could do that proved that what he was saying was true. I think you're right. And John chapter 20, verse 30, John 20, verse 30, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. John says the miracles were Mm -hmm. to confirm his identity as the Son of God. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem, he mentions, he says in Acts 2 verse 22 ye men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man approved of god among you by miracles and wonders and signs which god did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know so you know jesus did these miracles publicly Mm -hmm. where people could analyze what he was doing he didn't it wasn't the case that they came into Jerusalem and said, you won't believe what we saw jesus do out in the woods yesterday yeah there were three of us there and jesus turned water to wine no, he didn't do it in secret. He did it openly. And and when Peter was preaching to the Jews, he says, you know this, because yeah. his miracles were publicly done. Someone could argue that, the sure, his disciples, his friends, his buddies are going to say he worked miracles. But that's his, that's his friends. You can't really take them as objective observers. They, they, they had a, they had a, uh, an axe to grind. Yeah. They had they had skin in the a game. Biased opinion. They had a biased opinion, uh, and and that's that's a fair. I think that's a fair yeah. objection. 
John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, this is the case where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And some of the some of the people who saw it went and told the chief priests, uh, uh, the scribes and Pharisees uh, in in John 11, verse 47, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees, the councils and said, what do we for this man doeth many miracles? And if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And so there's a case where even his enemies, the people mm-hmm. who ultimately were responsible for killing him, even they had to acknowledge that he was working miracles. So it wasn't just the friends, the disciples, Jesus's, you know, closest associates who said he worked miracles. Even his enemies argued that he could work miracles. So that just has to show that these miracles were given to prefer, to confirm the word that he had. You know, as we studied the Bible, from, really from the beginning to the end, when miracles are done, they're always used to confirm that the message that the, whoever it was had was from God. It wasn't just for the grand idea of doing a miracle healing somebody or whatever the miracle might have been but it was to prove that their message was from god and jesus was able to perform them miracles to prove that his message from was from god and part of his message included that his he identity. was the son of god yeah, exactly right exactly right real quickly we're gonna to have to move quickly so we we've got we've got the fulfilled prophecy we got the miracles We've got the resurrection is what I regard as the ultimate proof of Jesus' mm-hmm. identity as the Son of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. I think Paul is saying that the mm-hmm. ultimate miracle. It's not the only miracle, but the ultimate miracle was the resurrection from the dead. Now, there's a whole lot to say about the resurrection, Monty. And, and we have in the past on the virtual Bible study, and, we, and I'd look forward to doing it again uh, sometime soon. Just go through the proofs of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. It's overwhelming. I mean, uh, if 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 a person will objectively consider the evidence of the resurrection, I, I think you've got to come to the conclusion that Jesus uh, is the Son of God based upon that sign of yeah. the resurrection. We we can't we don't have time to dive too deeply into that tonight. But boy, that's a powerful argument. I tell you something that's always appealed to me. Then is the the testimony of the eyewitnesses. Uh, you know, the, the, the people who saw it firsthand. We're not talking about, you know, that there are, there are Muslim martyrs today. Yeah. But they weren't witnesses of Muhammad. You know, they, they, they didn't, they, they believe, they believe strongly. They believe enough to be willing to die for it. Yeah. There, there have been Christian martyrs through the, through the ages. Uh, uh, but they they weren't eyewitnesses themselves. They believed they believed mm-hmm. enough to, to be willing to die for it. But what about the actual eyewitnesses? You know, so these are the people who were in a position to know for sure. Did Jesus really work those miracles? Did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? They were there firsthand, and those men were willing to lay down their lives. And what's interesting is, before the resurrection, they were actually cowardly deserters. Yeah. After the resurrection, they were willing to lay down their lives for the cause of Christ. And I, that, to me, has always been the most appealing form of, of positive evidence of Jesus as the Son of God. I, I've, I've tried to compose sort of a scenario, Monty. You know, so Jesus dies on the cross. They bury him. He doesn't. He's not resurrected. Everybody knows that. <clears throat> but Peter meets with the other apostles, and he says, listen, guys, I got an idea. Let's start telling that we saw Jesus after he died. That he, that he was alive again. 
Now, we all know that he wasn't, but let's say that he was, because I think we get people probably to pay us money to hear us tell our story. We can make a fortune doing this. We might make a lot of money and get famous. And so the other apostles pondered this suggestion from Peter, and they said, okay, Peter, let's give it a try. So they start doing it. What do they get? They don't get rich and famous. They start getting beaten, thrown in jail, and killed. How long do you think they keep telling that lie? Uh, don't you think that in very short order they say, hey, Peter, your idea is a this, bad this, this one. Ain't working. This ain't working. I'm out of here. Uh, but the fact that they stuck with it proves that they really, it, it, it had to be true based upon that testimony of the eyewitnesses. And when you think about it, these men seen the other miracles. They were eyewitnesses of the other miracles of watching Jesus raise people from the dead, changing water to wine, healing people of, of every imaginable disease that, that was, that people could bring to him, crippled people, paralyzed people, leprous people. They seen this. They seen him walk on water. They, from that evidence, knew he was the son of God. But when he got killed, it that shook, shook their, their faith. Shook their that faith, that yeah. devastated them, and they was like, "Well, maybe we was wrong, or I mean, we could we can suppose that that would have been a real big thing for them." But then, when they seen him raised from the dead, then they knew for a fact, okay, everything he said was true. All this other stuff was real. Uh, we're going to follow him now, yeah, because because well, because he'd promised salvation to them. Maybe if we'll do what he says, if we're willing to die for the call, we can go to heaven. Yeah. You know, it's not that I'm going to get a lot of money, but I'm going to be in heaven forever. Yeah. And that's what they wanted. And this resurrection from the dead was the was the final thing they needed to seal the deal for them. And they right. was going to follow after that. I think you're right. Dwight in Iowa says, Jesus was more than a mere man. He's the son of God. It is through faith of the word we find this out. The evidence of things Jesus performed is written out for us in his word. The things that were spoken of years before Jesus was even born all came to pass. Uh the only thing not to come to pass yet is his second coming. There are so many miracles that Jesus did, and these were done to confirm what was said by him and his apostles. And then he quotes John 20, verses 30 through 31. Um, there are many eyewitnesses. There were many eyewitnesses, above 500 of them, in fact, after his resurrection. So Dwight, Dwight agrees that those are powerful signs and proofs that Jesus was more than a mere man. Finally, we're just all but out of time. Monty, what do you conclude? Is it more reasonable to believe or not to believe? I think with all the evidence that it's available, uh, we mentioned even that from the beginning God said just seeing that there's an earth should give us evidence to believe there's a God from other evidence that we've discussed. It's reasonable to, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He demonstrated it. He proved it with the things that he done. He proved it through his re- resurrection. It was a well-witnessed event. Uh, so it, the, all the evidence suggests that we need to be believing it. Like we can come to that logical conclusion. Yeah. Uh, Dwight in his email says, way more reasonable for us to believe in references, Romans 1, verse 20. So could we be wrong? Any chance we could be wrong, money? Well, we come to lots of conclusions, scientific conclusions, based on the evidence at hand, and we can prove that we're right about certain things. And I don't think there's any way that we could be wrong about this. But even if we were, that if we follow the teachings of Jesus, we're going to have a better life on this earth than people that don't believe and don't follow him. So even if we're wrong, we're going to be better off than other people are. And if we're right, we'll have that home in heaven. I think I think that's a true argument for sure. So I I want to acknowledge that people can throw up challenges to our faith. Mm-hmm. And that's not a new thing. It's been going on forever. Uh, 
But but I think the overwhelming preponderance of evidence favors believing in Jesus. You know, are there some questions that we can't answer? Sure. That God hasn't revealed to us? Yeah. But the overwhelming preponderance of the evidence points to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. Let, let me ask you this. So let's say you're going to fly out to California. You're going to go. go you're going to fly out there and do a little gold prospecting like mm-hmm. you like to do. So you're going to get on a plane up here in, in Nashville, flying out to California. And they t- are, are you sure? Are you a hundred percent sure that that plane will get you to California? Well, no, I couldn't say as a hundred percent, but I'm reasonably confident that I wouldn't conf- have got on the That's thing. right. You, you're very confident. The uh, commercial aviation is safe. safety is overwhelming, really, but mm-hmm. it's not foolproof. I mean, planes it, crash it, occasionally. Occasionally, you, you, someone could say, "Well, yeah, no, you know, there have been some plane crashes." And they could talk about them, but the overwhelming evidence is you'll be safe to fly that plane to California. But what if they told you, you know, there's a fifty-fifty chance this plane's not going to make it. I ain't headed to California. We're not going. What if they said there's a there, there's a twenty percent chance this plane won't make it? I still don't know. I'm, I'm not going get on it. I'm not getting on it. And so what we're saying is, in order to have deep faith, we need a high, high level of confidence in the evidence. And I think we have that in the case of Jesus as the Son of God. I believe that's correct. I mean, there's I really don't see any real reason to doubt it uh, personally. Because of all the evidence that we have and the different types of evidence. And, I mean, we could go study for a month every day for a month all day and talking about the different evidences are and the different types and the reasons we can believe it. But it still boils down to the evidence is there and we can come to a logical conclusion that Jesus was the Son of God and that he's going to do what he said he would do. Exactly right. Kyle, final thoughts? This is a good study. I think uh, we need to be ready to give an answer, you know, for the hope that is in us. Uh, So it's... um, that we have this faith in Jesus, that He died for us and resurrected again. So, and we have that hope of heaven. So, it's just a, we have to, we can get that from reading the Word, though. I so. think you're exactly right. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Monty. Appreciate you helping out on the virtual Bible study tonight. We hope to be back next week, next Thursday night, same time, same place. Plan to join us for the virtual Bible study. Until that time, read and study your Bible every day. Live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.